Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Hello and welcome. It is Big Talk with Todd and Noah presented by Xfinity 10G Network, episode number 12. Todd, it feels like I just got back from Ireland and we were doing episode one, and now we've got only a couple of these remaining in the season. So I I know this happens every year, but for whatever reason, it feels like this year has gone by extra fast. It has gone by fast. And then this past week, I don't know what it was, week 10, week 11, I'm not even sure, but it was a bizarre week, right, in terms of coaches, because we had... Jim Harbaugh suspended and not on the sideline for the Michigan-Penn State game, their first true test. Didn't find out until they landed in uh, Pennsylvania. And then after games on Saturday, I mean, imagine this. Texas A&M beats Mississippi State 51-10, to and both head coaches get fired. I mean, Jimbo Fisher gets fired with a huge buyout left on his contract. And Zach Arnett, which is really – that one really perturbs me. I mean, I I never like seeing – coaches get fired particularly in the season uh you know being the son of a coach uh but Zach Arnett hadn't even been there one year and took over yeah. under really hard circumstances replacing Mike Leach so that one is uh really puzzling and disappointing to me and then you know after the Penn State debacle on Saturday on Monday uh, James Franklin fired his offensive coordinator Mike Yersich so um just kind of a bizarre week when it comes to some coaching moves uh here at the end of the season which and it was strange because for the majority of this season we hadn't really had a lot of this right it feels like most years you get a couple of coaches midway through the season that end up getting fired or had been on the hot seat coming into the season think herm edwards last year perfect example we really didn't have that a whole lot this year or certainly not big names and now at the very end of the season when you would expect usually just let them finish the year and then you kind of reset but maybe trying to get a head start on recruiting, head start on the transfer portal. And I'd imagine that's what changes the decision for a lot of these ADs now is you've got to think ahead with all these guys available. Yeah, that's absolutely part of the equation. It still kind of sucks, you know. I mean, yes. if, you're, if you're a coach and a coach's family and all that. And, and they understand that's part of the deal. You know, early in the season we had – the first thing we had was – the whole Pat Fitzgerald thing at Northwestern, right? And so he was replaced by David Braun as an interim coach who has done a a marvelous job with the Northwestern football team. Uh, Just incredible. They won again this past week, uh, you know, beating Wisconsin in in pretty convincing fashion. And then a couple weeks after that, we had the Mel Tucker situation and Harlan Barnett coming in as an interim coach. But but it was pretty quiet for several weeks until this past weekend. So let's just go around the nation real quick before we get to the Big Ten and start with the SEC because everything going into the year is okay. Can Georgia continue its dominance? Is Alabama going to be the same team? And is anybody else going to realistically challenge them? And Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, I don't think people really expected Missouri to be as good as they are, but they've obviously yeah. been a threat. Uh, you look at a variety of teams, certainly LSU after the season they had last year and Tennessee after the season they had last year. There were all these questions, and yet here we are, final week of the final two weeks of the regular season. We know what our SEC championship is going to be, and it's going to stick with Alabama and Georgia. We'll start with Georgia. I mean, that was as convincing a win as they could possibly get against a top 10 team in Ole Miss. 
And it felt like they needed it to kind of prove whatever naysayers there are. Like, hey, we're still here. We're still in full force. Yeah, you know, it's funny because Lane's done a great job and Ole Miss is a good football team. Um, But it's almost, it's eerily similar to me to Penn State and their inability to beat Ohio State and Michigan. You know, Ole Miss not able to beat Alabama and they don't normally play Georgia, so it was ironic or interesting that they had them on the schedule this year. But in both cases, they just aren't physical enough. You know, I mean, they 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 can't stop the run. I mean, Georgia ran for 300 yards. Carson Beck threw for three over 300. Who's he's having an incredible season too, replacing Stetson Bennett. But their ability to run the football, five touchdowns rushing. Brock Bowers is back in the mix. He only had three catches for 34 yards, but he had a touchdown. And so that just bodes well for Georgia as they head towards the SEC championship matchup. And uh, uh, and then with Alabama, you know, we've been talking about them all year. They just get better and better. Right? And I read a couple articles that talked about this may be Nick Saban's best coaching job that he's ever had because this was not a very good team. It was in total quarterback flux early on after the loss to Texas. Then they had a puzzling, head-scratching, close win at South Florida. And after that, Nick Saban made a commitment to Jalen Milrow. And this thing has just gotten better and better. He has played much better. I mean, he had a huge game, uh, you know, in their win over Kentucky. Their defense continues to play well. They're running the football. And so I I, I really give them a, a good chance in that SEC championship game. I don't think Georgia is that much further ahead than Alabama because of the improvement we've seen out of Nick Saban's team here over over the course of 10 weeks. And you mentioned him. Uh, Jalen Milrow was essentially benched earlier this yep. season, for, for lack of a better term. I wouldn't say that it was your typical benching necessarily. It wasn't the clear-cut, hey, this guy's not getting it done. we got to go with a different guy. He just wasn't living up to what may be the standard of some of the incredible quarterback play they've had in the last six, right. seven years is. And yet – they go back to the kid, and it tells you a lot about his mental resolve that this late into the season in such a big game to help clinch the SEC West, you go out and you have six total touchdowns. Six. Right. And, and it's not against a bad team. Kentucky's a good football team. They're well coached. They've been a good football team the last couple of years. But you mentioned physicality, defense. We know Alabama's defense is still one of the best in the country. And it just seems like Milrose getting more and more comfortable. Yeah. So understandable why that take with Nick Saban would be there. You know, and it, it reminds me of LSU last year, mm. right? In Brian Kelly's first year, they got beat by Florida State early. They weren't a real good football team, but they got better and better each week. And Jaden Daniels, at quarterback in his first year after coming over from Arizona State, he kept getting better and better and playing better and better down the stretch. And they won a couple huge games down the stretch. Well, Alabama's doing the same thing this year. I mean, they're a much better team than when they were when they lost to Texas, when they just barely beat South Florida. And Jalen Milrose just continues to rise in his productivity and, and efficiency and taking care of the ball. So, yeah, they're going to be a hard out for anybody at this well, point. Well, you, you bring up Jaden Daniels, so might as well just kind of shift over it's there. We were, I mean, we were, we were keeping up during our game of just the stats he was putting up. And I feel like people overuse the term video game numbers or video game highlights. That was the perfect example of that to me. He had over 600 total yards and five touchdowns by himself. He single-handedly won them that game. Yeah, and he has to because their defense, for whatever reason, is is atrocious this year, you know, which is really surprising to me with all the athletes that they have. But 
but they have to outscore people. And Jaden Daniels is having a ridiculous year. He became with that production, with that game the other night, the first player in FBS history to ever pass for more than 350 yards and rush for over 200 yards in the same game. I mean, uh, you know, and he can't be able to practice till about Thursday, you know, <laughs> yeah. for the amount of work that he's getting done on Saturday. But, you know, he is just like I've said the last couple of weeks that Marvin Harrison is a legitimate Heisman candidate and should be in New York. Jaden Daniels is also a legitimate Heisman candidate should be in New York. I know there's, Guys out in the Pac-12 playing really well, a couple quarterbacks as well. But those two guys are playing as well as anybody in college football. Yeah, in terms of team impact, in terms of yeah. if you take them away, what happens right. to their team? I think we've seen with Marvin Harrison Jr., you take away some of the other weapons. Maybe they're not as potent Ohio State's offense, but as long as they have 18 on the field, yeah. it's dangerous. And the yeah. same goes for LSU. If you took Jane Daniels away from that team right now, that's probably a complete collapse, and he's, yeah. he's the glue that's keeping them together. Uh, just quickly hit on Missouri because Eli Drinkwitz, yeah. the way that he's built that program back up to this to this season that they're having, and, and it's culminating with Brady Cook having a tremendous year and leading that team. I mean, this was a big win over Tennessee, 36-7, to a top-15 matchup. You know, they've been close in some of these bigger games, but to actually win one like this really bodes well for them moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at it. They they played Georgia. You know, they were tight all the way into about the middle of the fourth quarter in Athens. I mean, they played well. And th this is a really good football team. And uh, you mentioned Brady Cook. The running back, Cody Schrader, had a huge game, right? He ran for 205 yards. He had 116 yards worth of receptions. He was a one-man wrecking crew against this Tennessee defense that had been playing pretty well. So Missouri is a legit team. I mean, they're ranked number 13. They're probably going to go up higher than that. They've got a couple winnable games left on their schedule. They could very easily finish in the top 10 and uh, just an outstanding season. Move to the ACC. Uh, Florida State and Louisville have essentially separated themselves as the, as yep. the top two teams in the conference. We expect them to eventually meet in the ACC title. Let's start with FSU because, honestly, both of them played somewhat similar games in the sense that it wasn't a blowout, it wasn't a convincing victory, but a win was a win. It was the, the one-score victory for both of them. FSU against Miami, this was on Saturday, 27-20. Jordan Travis did just enough, 265 passing yards, had a touchdown through the air. Trey Benson had two on the ground. So they get production out of their guys offensively that they expect to, and they, they keep winning. And right now that's all they need to do. Absolutely. And, you know, as far as the score being close, you got to remember, this is a rivalry game, right? Yeah. When, when Florida State and Miami play, uh, there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of, you know, guys that know each other, maybe played against each other in high school. Uh, a lot of athletes on the field competing. And so, um, you know, to win at all is, is significant when you play those games. And they'll have another one with Florida at the end of the season, you know, another in-state rivalry game. But but yeah, Florida State just keeps taking care of business, playing solid on both sides of the ball. And then you mentioned Louisville. I mean, they kind of struggled with Virginia. We're able to finally put them away 31 to 24. Now, I believe Louisville plays Miami this week. And if they win, uh, then Louisville and Florida State will match up in the ACC championship game. And, uh, you know, really I, the key for the ACC in terms of getting a team into the college football playoff, I almost think has to be an undefeated Florida State team. I yes. mean, they have to win out uh, because there's going to be some other one-loss teams that are going to be maybe thought of a little bit more highly 
um, down the stretch than, than a, a Florida State team that would lose late in the season. So they're having a great year, but, you know, they, they kind of need to keep winning all the way out. A hundred percent. And credit to, to Jeff Brom for the job that he's done year one yeah. at his alma mater. I mean, to think that if they had found a way to just beat Pitt yeah. and then run the table the way they have and potentially find themselves in the college football playoff would have been remarkable. I'm, a, I'm with you. I think it's probably out of the cards at this point, pun intended there. But they are going to be in the top 10. You know, they're in the top 10 of the AP poll now inside the top 10. And they're all, in all likelihood, going to be a top 10 team in the college football playoff poll, which, full disclosure, as always, we are recording this Tuesday morning. So that will come out later tonight, and we'll see. But that would be my expectation. And uh, just a tremendous season and, and see if maybe uh, if Jeff Brom can keep this rolling now and, and bolster the ACC moving forward because FSU has clearly proven themselves we expect Clemson eventually is going to get back to being Clemson at yeah. some point moving forward. We know that some of these other teams, Duke is an up-and-comer. UNC has been pretty consistently good. Can they become great? And that was the matchup we saw this past weekend. The the One of the best rivalries in college basketball, if not number one. Yeah. And there's still animosity when they play on the football field. And Duke honestly played a tremendous game. Riley Leonard's been hurt. And so to, to go out there without their, their physical and emotional leader and send this to double overtime against a team that's got arguably the, a top three NFL quarterback coming yeah. out this year, top two maybe, according to many experts, so to speak, and a lot of talent on the outside, a lot of skilled position players, a fantastic coach on the sideline. To go out there and, and send this to double overtime is really impressive from Duke, but UNC outlasts them when it's all said and done. Yeah, and you know the thing to remember about North Carolina is they improved to eight and two. They're still technically not out of the picture, you know, for the ACC championship. And uh, you know they played well, and and Drake May, as you mentioned, had a, a phenomenal game. You know they won in overtime. He threw for over three hundred and forty yards, ran for a couple touchdowns. You know had the the I think the game winning run for a touchdown in overtime. And you know it's 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 I think it's important to remember too because we talked about you know, Marvin Harris, and we talked about Jaden Daniels. We talked about and have talked about, everybody's talking about Michael Penix Jr. and Bo yeah. Nix and Caleb Williams, although he's kind of dropped off a little bit. But Drake May has also continued to play outstanding football. And I don't think he gets the same notoriety as those other guys do, even though he's probably going to be drafted higher than any of them, except for uh, possibly Caleb Williams. So uh, he's having a great season as well. Someone I saw a tweet, I think it was this week, he had one play where he was scrambling, and right as he was getting hit, he kind of flicked the ball into the end zone for a touchdown, and someone said he's the Luka Doncic of football. <laughs> and it kind of fits, because it's it's a lot of improv, it's a lot of just figure it out on the fly, but he's got so much talent, so much natural arm talent to him, yeah. and the decision-making seems like it keeps getting better and better and better, not that it was ever bad, but... He's just getting more and more comfortable. So I'm excited to see him at the next level because I do think he has a chance to be really special. As you know, the guy, you know yeah, the, guy, the, the guy that I, he reminds me of at that next level, body type, athleticism, arm talent is Justin Herbert. I, I just wow. see him as a similar kind of player, um, you know, able to make throws off platform, but also really good just standing in the pocket and driving the football down the field. Um that that's who he reminds me of. Similar in the in the style of play. I will say Justin Herbert in person might throw the the most beautiful ball I've ever seen. 
it's just it just flies off his hands so naturally. And Drake May, to your point, is right there with him. So as mentioned, excited to see what he looks like at the next level because we've had now a chance to see some quarterbacks. And C.J. Stroud is the most recent one of these young quarterbacks that's already exploding onto the scene. And, well, and honestly, realistically, has entered himself into the NFL MVP conversation, which is pretty impressive from a rookie. Um, Michael Penix Jr. I think might be the same age as him, or maybe even older than him. <laughs> right. Yet he's still he's still dominating the college scene. Washington yeah. stays undefeated, and that was a gritty win over Utah. Especially, I look, I don't want to get on Alfonso uh, Tupatala all too much, but I just want to say this: I will. I vividly remember, and and myself and Matt Lamb, our producer, were talking some fantasy football before we started this. I vividly remember when I was younger. Deshaun Jackson being on a fantasy football team I had and streaking untouched to the end zone and then flipping the ball behind him at the half yard line before he scored. And I vividly remember being irate because I lost that fantasy game by maybe three points and that would have won me the game. I just, I feel like we've seen this happen too many times for it to happen again, right? One time time is too many times, right? Right. I mean, it is a catastrophic mistake, you know? And, and it's absolutely, completely, 100% unavoidable. I mean, just, you know, wait till you hit the end line instead of the goal line to, to flip the ball or throw the yes. ball or spin the ball, whatever you want to do. But don't even risk that. I mean, it's, yeah, it happens way too often. Way too often. More than All it right. should. Again, don't want to don't bag on the kid, <laughs> but I just needed to get that off my chest because I watched right. that replay and I'm like, there's no chance. There's no chance. And sure enough. And the way that it just died on the one yard line was too perfect. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Washington overcomes that. They get the victory 35 28 over a, a tough and we know hard nosed football team in Utah. So, and by the way, the weather in this game, the wind was off the charts. So for Michael yeah. Penix to still go out there and throw for 332 showcases his arm strength more than anything else and the leadership skills to keep the team unbeaten. Yeah, I and I think their offense the last couple of weeks has kind of regrouped and, and become more explosive again. They had a couple of weeks there where they weren't firing on all cylinders, but their defense was playing good. So I think that they are back. Problem is their road is hard. I mean, yeah. they go to Oregon State next week, and Corvallis is a hard place to go win. And so and Oregon State's good. I mean, they're eight and two. They're playing really good football. They just crushed Stanford this past weekend by almost fifty points. So uh, that will be a very tough challenge for the Washington Huskies uh, next weekend. Oregon State in the last AP poll is number 10, and rightfully so. Well-deserved ranking for the way that they play. They're, they play complimentary football right now. They're just playing really, really smart, really good football. And then, look, you get through that path, obviously. You've got to win this game this week, and you've got to finish out strong in week 13 and, and then get yourself to the Pac-12 championship game. And you do all that, you got to face Oregon in all likelihood. And, and right. Oregon, you know, USC was coming off of obviously giving up over 100 points in their previous two games, and they fire Alex Grinch. And you, it, they didn't give up what maybe some expected to Oregon, another 50 spot. But Oregon does what they do. Bo Nix had over 400 yards, and they win 36-27. And it just feels like if Oregon handles their business with the way that they have played for the majority of the season – and wins that rematch in the Pac-12 championship. I'm looking at all the one-loss team potential situations. To me, they have one of the strongest cases of any of them just because of the strength of schedule they've had to play out West. 
Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about the age and maturity of Michael Penix Jr. Yeah. Might even be older than Michael Penix Jr. But uh, those two guys just continue to bleed. Great leaders, very, very productive. Uh, I think the coolest thing or the best thing for Oregon, too, is just how adamant and forceful Dan Lanning has been in the aftermath of Jimbo Fisher being fired, saying that he has no interest in going anywhere else, coaching anywhere else. He's very happy at Oregon. He's compensated well. He's got unfinished business there. And that's got to be a real boost of confidence to that team as well because he is a good fit there. And and they are a really complete football team uh, that I think has gotten better since that loss, uh, that very close loss to Washington earlier in the season. Let's just real quick go through the Big 12. Uh, mostly just want to hit on on Texas here because they hold on against TCU, 29-26. Quinn Ewers back in there with over 300 yards and a touchdown. TCU put up 20 in the fourth quarter. And it's similar. It's a similar situation with Texas as it was for Oregon, although the problem now for them becomes if if Oklahoma falters the way that they had with the two losses, right? And Dylan Gabriel obviously had a just ridiculous week. He had eight total right. touchdowns this past week. So I'm not saying that Oklahoma's a bad team. They're still probably going to be a top 15 team. But their resume isn't quite as strong. Now, they have the Alabama victory, and that's going to go right. a long way. But to your point, I wonder if the committee looks at that as, hey, early in the season, Alabama, they're not what they are now. They weren't what they are now. So I, I just I, I worry a little bit about Texas, even if they run all the way through. All they can do is control what they can control in right. the games that are in front of them and not – you know, there's nothing else they can do. But I do worry a little bit just in terms of the one-loss teams where they stack up. Yeah, I mean, the other thing the committee will take into account is that they were able to find a way to win when their starting quarterback was on the bench and hurt. Right. And so they've got him back. He throws for over 300. The bad news for Texas is their star running back, Jonathan Brooks, yeah. is out for the season out with a torn ACL. He had 178 yards, total yards, before he had to leave with the injury, and then they revealed – on Sunday that he's going to be lost for the rest of the year. So that's that's a huge blow for Texas going forward. They get their quarterback back, but they lose their top running back. Yeah, Brooks was having just a standout season and, and really a shame to see a guy go down this late into the year especially. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Uh, as we move over to the Big Ten. So let's start with our game that we had. We saw the number one team in the country, and they, they get the job done. They looked they, – the the whole thought with Ohio State, the whole message that we kept hearing was faster start, faster start, faster start. They did that. I mean, they got Marvin Harrison Jr. the football for the first touchdown. They got Travion Henderson the football. They got Cade Stover back. He got the football. They targeted Emeka Abuka on that first on that first drive down the field, and they just start fast, and they didn't really give it up from there. No, they didn't, and uh, I made this point during the course of the game. That's the best, to me, that's the best Kyle McCord has looked, I mean, from start to finish. I mean, he was solid, he was accurate, he was decisive, he had good footwork, and he did a great job of distributing the football. And you can see as this team gets healthier on offense how much more explosive they can be. Travion Henderson makes a tremendous difference to their running game. I still don't think it's a great offensive line, but they're much better because of Travion Henderson. They did a good job of protecting Kyle McCord against a pretty stout defensive front of Michigan State. Uh, Abuka is not 
quite back, but but maybe by the Ohio State-Michigan game, he will be. Cade Stover still has the brace, but he looked good, made a couple nice plays uh, in that in that ball game. So uh, so they looked much better offensively, much more well balanced defensively. They're missing a couple guys in that game, but they still played the way they typically play, you know, and 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 keep teams at bay and don't give up big plays. So uh, they're they're a really good football team that I think Ryan Day has them playing their best football here in the month of November. You mentioned it. I just I just want to ask you this one thing about Ohio State defensively before we move on to the to the Michigan Penn State game. Because you mentioned it a lot during the broadcast and you're right. They're not a high turnover team. They're not going to force those crazy plays, those game-changing plays, but they don't give up big plays. They just right. keep you in front. And I I I'm curious in a game like Michigan which again, we're all looking towards next week more than anything because of how much meaning it's going to have again based on where these two teams are. But in a game like that, or a game that you could be in the college football playoff, do you need more of those kind of type of game-breaking, game-changing, momentum-shifting plays that they don't quite get as much as some of the other top teams? Well, I mean, you know, sometimes takeaways, uh, they come in flurries, you know. Now, yeah. they, they have not created takeaways, but a lot of times, you know, it's just the way the ball bounces. Maybe they're in position, getting their hands on balls, just not able to come down with interceptions. You know, um, they haven't forced a lot of fumbles. So it's um, it's hard to say. I do think even though they don't have a lot of sacks, they do have consistent pressure. You know, right. it's not like the quarterbacks that they're facing are very comfortable in the pocket because they're only completing 49% of their passes against this defense. So they're getting pressure. They've got good coverage. All three levels of the defense are in sync and playing coordinated. So they don't have the sacks, but they do have the pressures. They don't have the picks or the fumbles, but they are preventing big plays. And that's, at the end of the day, explosive plays and turnovers are what kind of change games. So they don't have the turnovers or the takeaways, but they are eliminating and, and holding to a minimum the big plays. And really, you know, that's the secret to Iowa's success too. I mean, no their doubt. defense. It's kind of a bend, but don't break, but they don't give up big plays and they just force you to earn everything that you get. It's been really impressive to watch everybody in that Ohio State defense. Just they just it seems like they do their job perfectly every single play and everybody knows their role and everybody knows where everyone else is supposed to be. And that's a credit to Jim Knowles in year two and kind of installing that system the right way and the leaders that they have and even. You mentioned not having some big names. Tommy Eichenberg, maybe the biggest one yeah. that they didn't have last week. Their captain, middle linebacker, and yet Cody Simon steps in and, and he plays perfectly in his absence. So they do and have two I'm, starting safeties. They're out right. there are two starting safeties who both have been having really good years. Josh Proctor and, and Lathan Ransom have been playing really, really good. So um yeah, they they're they're a very impressive football team right now. Yeah, and so they might not have the depth, the sheer depth numbers that a Michigan has defensively, but they still have guys. And and even yeah. when one guy goes down, they still have guys to spell them. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Obviously, we're all looking towards that game, and the reason we're looking towards that game is because of what Michigan did this past week. And you brought it up off the top. No Jim Harbaugh on the sideline. He was notified less than 24 hours before kickoff of Michigan and Penn State from Happy Valley. And this was just, you know, Sharon Moore takes over, and the play calling was remarkable in this game because J.J. McCarthy goes 7 of 8 in the first half. I mean, he is efficient as ever. Now he's not throwing for big numbers. He's not throwing right. touchdowns or anything like that. He does not throw a single pass 
in the second half. And we've been saying all season, well, the big reason that this team's better than they were last year right. is because J.J. Right. McCarthy is better. And what did they do? They just pounded the football right. with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards right down the throat of Penn State's defense. And I'm not saying Penn State's defense played poorly because they didn't. But Michigan yeah. wins the game 24-15, and they get back to their bread butter a little bit. Yeah, I have to correct you on one thing. J.J. did attempt one pass in the second half, but it drew a defensive pass interference penalty, so it didn't count as an attempt. Unofficial pass attempt. But 32 consecutive runs, right? Uh, And and what happened was, and it was really a smart decision by Sharon Moore, because he knew two things. He could feel two things. Number one, Chop Robinson was back for Penn State, and the strength of Penn State's defense are their edge rushers. They're not as big or physical on the inside, but they're outstanding. They have speed and length and quickness, and they can really rush the passer. And so the first couple possessions, when it got to third down, they got after J.J. McCarthy and one time sacked him, one time forced to throw away. And Sharon Moore said, okay, enough of this. We're going to bring in not one, but two extra offensive linemen. One of them, Trente Jones, wearing number 93, and then – they bring in the other offensive tackle, the other transfer from Stanford, and they line up and just play bully ball. And they give the ball to Blake Corm, and they give the ball to Donovan Edwards, and a couple times J.J. McCarthy keeps it, and they just punished Penn State. You know, and, and they had not had the big running numbers this year the way they had in the past. Remember, this team ran for 418 yards against Penn State last year in Ann Arbor. So they didn't get that. They only got 227 this time. <laughs> but the game was never in doubt because Mich- the other thing Sharon Moore knew was our defense, they're not going to score on our defense. Our defense has them locked down, and their offense is not doing anything against us. And so we can afford to have this kind of an offensive game plan, run it, shorten the game. And as soon as they got it up to two scores after a failed fourth down conversion in their own territory – and Blake Horm scored on the next play, the game was over. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. And obviously then everyone got to see Sharon Moore, the, the emotion after the game, and just kind of, I think, unleashing a lot of what has gone on the last couple of weeks and the built-up stuff from all of uh, the outside noise. But more than anything, Michigan wins the game. And, and again, it might not be dominant like they've won some of these other games, but you're playing against a team that rightfully was a top-10 team coming into the game. Yeah. And the game plan was indicative of, I guess, what happened. And then you brought it up with all of us. The way that Blake Corum's face looked after the game. Big gash above the bridge of his nose. Exactly. Like in between his eyebrows and it just blood rushing down his face. That was perfect. It was a perfect microcosm probably for their team, but certainly for how they played that football game of, hey, we're just going to be tough and we're just going to find our way through it. And, and it yeah. feels like that's what they're planning to do now, especially if Jim Harbaugh's appeal, which doesn't feel likely it's going to get looked at or, or taken or anything. If Jim Harbaugh is not going to coach these last two games, and certainly, again, we're looking towards that that final game yeah. against Ohio State, that's the mentality this team is going to come up with. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's a couple things to, to keep in mind here. First of all, I mean, the, the post-game – by Sharon Moore and Blake Corm. I mean, it was it was raw emotion, right? Yes. That was a, a strange, strange set of circumstances. You know, I mean, they didn't find out what this decision was going to be until they got to Penn State, and they weren't informed directly by the league. They found out 
with social media posts about it, you know, which is weird in and of itself. So they got to make the decision, you know, what they're going to do. I'm sure they had talked about it during the week because my sense was Jim kind of knew something might be coming. So I'm sure they had the plan in place early that Sharon Moore would be in charge and they would go forward this way. Um, the other thing is, you know, Michigan is not a villain here, right? I mean, they they did something wrong, right? They, they broke a rule. Nobody's denying at Michigan that they broke a rule. You know, they don't like that the commissioner went forward without waiting for the NCA and due process. Nobody's, you know, trying to cover up that they didn't break a rule, that, that Connor Stallions didn't do something against NCAA rules. So you know, they're kind of getting, I mean, the, to, to get some kind of punishment, you know, they, they earned that, you know, um, but the way it's gone about, I, I think this team has become even more galvanized and we've had yeah. a couple of their games and we talked about this. This is as close of a team and a genuinely unselfish team. Unlike many that I've ever seen. I mean, think of it this way. You mentioned JJ McCarthy was seven for eight. How many legitimate Heisman trophy candidates would be okay throwing the ball eight times in a top 10 marquee matchup and handing the ball off 32 consecutive times. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I mean, and he was as jubilant after the game as anybody could be. Right. So, so their unselfishness on this team is legitimate. I think this brings them together, but I will say this. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, you know, not having Jim Harbaugh on the sideline is not that big a deal. I mean, he gets the coach during the week and it doesn't punish the players. I, I beg to differ. I think it is a big deal not having your head coach. I think that punishes the players, not having your head coach, especially one who is a, a forceful personality like Jim Harbaugh. You know, you've got decisions that have to be made and whether to go for it on fourth down, you know, whether to punt, those kind of decisions uh, that a head coach, that's his responsibility, clock management, those kind of things. I mean, here's Sharon Moore. Sharon Moore is not only in his first year as a play caller, he's also the acting head coach yesterday, and he's the offensive line coach still. So, yeah. you know, offensive line coaches want to meet with those guys in between possessions, and he wants to talk to them, but he's got to stay on the headset because the defense is on the field, and he's the the acting head coach. So um, it does make a difference not having your head coach uh, on the field and on the sideline, but uh, we'll see what happens over the next two weeks. They had their Michigan versus everybody <clears throat> shirts, beanies, et cetera. Those shirts made their way to the basketball team who ended up throttling St. John's in the garden earlier this week. And then you've got the, the football team showing up with Jim Harbaugh to the hockey game and the, the crowd just <laughs> going nuts and applauding. So it's a it's an interesting story. And honestly, it's probably good for college football. It creates even more intrigue to a season that already had a lot of parity. So going to be fun to watch that that last really stretch run here, final two weeks of the regular season. Real quick, let's just hit on Iowa and Rutgers because we knew the over-under was very low for this game, yeah. but we also knew the implications of this game were going to mean a lot. Could Iowa overcome what is one of the better defenses in the Big Ten this year? And Rutgers has proven that at the highest level. They hung with Michigan, they hung with Ohio State, right. and Iowa, <laughs> they just won it in Iowa's way. I mean, there's no other way to say it. They win 22 nothing this game and they really take a stranglehold on the Big Ten West. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, this this was an impressive win for Iowa because I, yes. I really thought Rutgers had a chance to go in there because, 
you know, Iowa had not shown much in their passing game, and I thought Rutgers' defense was was solid. I thought they could run the football. Uh, Deacon Hill threw for 232 yards. Offensively, they didn't score over 25 points. They only had 22, but they gained over 400 yards of offense. But most impressively, their defense held Rutgers to 127 total yards and only 34 yards rushing. Now, this is the same Rutgers running attack that last week against Ohio State gained 232 yards rushing, okay? They came up short against Ohio State, but only 34 yards rushing against this Hawkeye defense. And, uh, I mean, Iowa just dominated the game. And, and, you know, they are the best team in the Big Ten West. Uh, Now, it'll be interesting because I think they've got Illinois this week who seems to be coming on offensively. And so – and this isn't saying a whole lot, but it looks like Illinois is the most explosive offensive team in the Big Ten West. So they will maybe challenge with a balanced attack, challenge this Iowa defense uh, better than they've been challenged so far this year. Yeah, it was a Phil Parker special once again. Uh, Other scores in the Big Ten, feel free before we move on to this week to to hit on anything. But Illinois, 48-45 over Indiana. Purdue, 49-30 over Minnesota. Northwestern, you talked about it. David Braun. Over Wisconsin, 24 to 10. Both teams get to 5 and 5. Maryland over Nebraska, 13 to 10. By the way, the Big Ten West standings, let's just talk about what this <laughs> shakeup looks like right now because you've yeah. got Iowa at 8 and 2, and you've got them as the clear cut number one team in, the, in the, the division. But Illinois, 5 and 5. Minnesota, 5 and 5. Northwestern, 5 and 5. Wisconsin, 5 and 5. And of course, Nebraska five and five. You just look at, and I know Northwestern. All things aside, but I'm just talking about all the teams in the Big Ten, even that are five and five. But the Big Ten West, I mean, it's everybody but Purdue and and Iowa are five and five and have the same in conference record. It's actually remarkable the the gridlock kind of in the middle of that division. Yeah, yeah, and and really, you know, it's 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 interesting because. You know, Nebraska had it had it going pretty good, right? They had won yeah. three games in a row. It looked like they were easily going to be bowl eligible for the first time in six years. And then all of a sudden, you know, they lose two games in a row. And, and the bugaboo for Nebraska all year has been turnovers. They have 27 turnovers in 10 games, which is the most in all of the FBS. So it's really, really hard to win when you don't take care of the football. And it started in the very first game they played against Minnesota. Turnovers, they had the game won. Turnovers let Minnesota back in the game. And uh, they had multiple turnovers when they lost to Colorado. And that trend has just not stopped for them. Uh, So they've got a big game now coming up at Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, you know, when we saw them against Ohio State, even though they didn't win, we thought, okay, it's a pretty good team. You know, now Braylon Allen got hurt. He's a big part of what they do. And so hoping he could get back. Tanner Mordecai comes back at quarterback this past week, and they just stink the place up. And, and again, not taking anything away from Northwestern, but Northwestern scored on their first three possessions. They led 24 to three at halftime in Madison. I mean, that that's that's a head scratcher for me, you know, because I, I just, I think Wisconsin now has lost three games in a row. And, uh, you know, it's the opposite of an Ohio State team playing their best game and their best football in November, Wisconsin seems to be regressing at this point in the season. 
So before we move on to this week's matchups, I just want to say two things. One, I just want to reiterate how great of a job David Braun has done. Considering the circumstance of that situation, considering what he walked into, what he thought he was going to be doing when he first got there. I mean, this is a guy, it's different when an interim head coach like Harlan Barnett, right, was there. He was around the guys. He He was familiar with the team. David Braun walked into a situation thinking he was going to be a coordinator, had never been around the team, and then within, what, two months was thrust into the head coaching job amidst major scandal and major controversy. Yeah. And has that team one win away from bowl eligibility. So I just think that we deserve Amazing. to give him that credit. I mean, this is a team, that, and I love Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, I really do. I mean, I, I, he's always was one of my favorite guys to deal with, you know, and to talk to and just, to, you know, the – he, he seemed like the perfect fit for Northwestern because he played there. He understood the culture, understood the academic requirements, understood all of it. Right. But the last two years under Pat, they were four and 20. This yep. team was one and 11 last year. So, I mean, this is, this is the same guys, you know, because Northwestern is not a team that's going to be able to go out and take advantage of the transfer portal. The academic requirements are, are too difficult. So this is this, you know, David Braun, took over a program with players that he didn't recruit and he has done a remarkable job. Uh, you know, and I think, and I don't know, I, I'm sure that, that this guy has helped him and maybe we brought this up on the podcast before, but you know, somewhere early in the season, he made the decision to bring Skip Holtz on yep. as kind of a mentor and kind of an associate head coach, you know, just kind of being there to help. Uh, you know, David Braun had never even been a Division One assistant coach. I mean, he was a coordinator at North Dakota State. This was his big step up to come to the Big Ten and be a defensive coordinator. And then he was thrust into the head coaching job. So it's probably a really smart move of his to bring Skip Holtz in, who had a nice track record as a head coach and has won at different places uh, to just kind of bring some stability and some wisdom to him as he leads his team. Because David Braun wanted to continue to be a defensive play caller he didn't yeah. want to change that up this late in the game. And so, uh, you know, kudos to, to both those guys. So, and I got one other point to make that we're going to move on to the games for this week because I know that we've got limited time here. But uh, we talked about all these coaches getting fired. We talked about coaches losing their positions. At some point, Northwestern's got to give this guy the job or at least offer this yeah. guy the job. I mean, the fact that it hasn't, he hasn't had that interim tag removed is crazy to me considering what's gone on this year. Yeah, I would agree with that because, again, like I just mentioned, Northwestern is not like most other schools, you know, because they aren't going to have the same impact with the transfer portal. They're not going to have the same impact with NIL. I mean, you've got to recruit differently and kids that want to come to that kind of an academic institution and still play Big Ten football, uh, you know, so it's, it's not going to ever be easy there. And so what he's done to me would be, I mean, his resume is pretty impressive, you know, and I think he would only get more and more comfortable if he was named the the head coach because, uh, you know, I I just think he's done enough in my, I agree with you, in my opinion, he's done enough to, uh, you know, to earn that, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, what comes of, you know, Boise State fired their coach as well, but Texas A&M is the job that everybody's going to be talking about. Uh, you know, the one name that that I would think about in that case is is Mike Elko, just because mm-hmm. Mike Elko was a defensive coordinator at Texas A&M and did a great job there before taking the head coaching job at Duke. So um, 
and Duke is a similar place to me, like Northwestern, you know, high yeah. academics, you're, you're not going to have the same uh, advantages with, although he did, they did do a great job with the transfer portal at Duke. I mean, he brought some dudes in, particularly on that defensive side of the ball. So, uh, but it's hard to sustain long-term success, I think, at either one of those kind of places. And, yeah. and Texas A&M, look, with their resources and facilities and fan base and all recruiting, all of that, they should be a dominant program. And, and it's, it's almost inexplicable to me why that has not taken place, why they haven't been that. And, um, you know, and it's, you know, it's going to get more challenging now with Texas going into the SEC, you know, and their, their, their other school in state being in the same conference now. Uh, and Texas seems to be going in that upward dis- direction. And Texas A&M is kind of stuck in neutral right now. I'm going to save my other rant for the end of the show. I just decided I think it's the perfect <laughs> okay. way, perfect way to, to finish out the show. So let's just get to the, to the games for this week. Let's start with uh, Michigan again at Maryland. Maryland gets back in the win column. They get to bowl eligibility after the four consecutive losses. And Michigan, obviously, with the big win last week against Penn State. This is noon on Fox, and this just feels like, hey, Michigan, you got to handle your business. you got to get to yeah. that Ohio State game unscathed. you got to get there healthy and make right. sure that everybody gets to see what we've been waiting to see, really, in the Big Ten all season. Yeah, and Maryland, you know, funny team, because we saw them early in the year twice, and uh, – and when I watched them play Ohio State, I thought this is a really good football team. And yep. you know, I, you know, Mike Loxley felt like their team was in a position to finally compete for the Big Ten East. And and when I watched them play Ohio State, I thought, okay, they didn't get it done here, but they'll get two more shots at Penn State, and then another shot against Michigan, and uh, not competitive at all against Penn State, and really kind of were going backwards. And they got it turned around with a win last week, which I'm sure was great for their whole morale and confidence. But now they got another big boy coming in. And, uh, you know, in all likelihood, no Jim Harbaugh again. It'll be a similar situation, uh, you know, with Michigan being led by Sharon Moore. But, uh, again, this is a team that has resolved. Uh, they're, they're united and they're physical. And, and they're talented. So I would expect that we'll see more passing out of J.J. McCarthy this week than we did uh, up in Happy Valley. Plus, uh, you know, Maryland and, and that home crowd is not going to pose the same kind of issues that playing in front of 110,000 at Beaver Stadium did this past week. No question. Speaking of Penn State, they are back at home. And you got to feel for Rutgers a little bit. You know, they have such this this great success of a year they get to six wins before their bye week, and then they get right. their bye week, and it's like, all right, what do we got next? Oh, the number one team <laughs> in the country. We got Ohio State coming. All right, what do we have after that? Oh, it's at Iowa. Ah, oh, that's right. Uh, okay, what do we have after that? Oh, we got to go to Happy Valley and play yeah. Penn State on the road. Look, Penn State, the season was predicated on winning at least one of those two games against Ohio State or Michigan, and they didn't do it. But there's still a great season to be had, still a New Year's Six Bowl potentially in the balance for them. And so they've got to just get back on the on the horse and, and let this thing rip. And you've got a young quarterback that's coming back next year. He's not going anywhere. Keep developing him against a great defense at Rutgers. Yeah, and you've got uh, you've got a new, you know, just operation – going forward because they fired Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator, and Drew Aller had a really good relationship with Mike Yersich. So yeah. uh, there's there's going to be some change. It'll, it'll feel different, look different, sound different, um, but they've got to play better. 
You know, they've got to be better on offense. That's that's what's held them back in those big matchups with Ohio State and Michigan. So you've got Jawan Sider, who's a running back coach. Ty Howell, who's a tight end coach. You're going to kind of be co-offensive coordinators and, and figure out what that operation is going to be. I think James Franklin, you know, his background is on the offense. I think he's going to be more involved with the offensive side, kind of trust that Manny Diaz has things locked down and under control on defense. So, uh, so a different operation. And the biggest thing is they just can't have any hangover from, you know, what they did not get done against Michigan the week before. They're a better team than Rutgers. Uh, and, and one thing, even though they've struggled to beat those two teams, uh, they have pretty much consistently taken care of business against the teams that they're supposed to beat. Uh, and, and so they, they just need to take care of business this week. We'll be interesting to see how both teams try to bounce back. Other games, Michigan State, Indiana, Purdue at Northwestern. Northwestern with a chance to clinch a bowl eligibility for themselves. Illinois at Iowa. We'll see if Iowa can keep it rolling, if Illinois' offense can get them to six wins on the season. Minnesota at Ohio State. Ohio State looking to just stay unbeaten as well as we get to that Michigan game. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. We get to our game, and I, I really believe our game has a lot of intrigue as well. When you've got Nebraska at Wisconsin, 7.30 on NBC, 7 o'clock college countdown per usual. Both teams are 5-5. Five and five. So winner gets to a bowl game, loser has to wait another week and try to give themselves another chance. And the main stories in this game, let's start on the Nebraska side. What's the quarterback situation going to look like there? Because you mentioned the turnovers, and Heinrich Harburg had a couple early. He had that early interception that was horrendous in the last game. Uh, and they just it plagued them in that game against Maryland. He ends up getting hurt. He hurts his ankle, and, and that could be a concern. He looked like he, he could come back in potentially, and there's talk that he's going to be okay. But if he's hampered by the ankle, he's such a dual threat that that completely right. changes his game. Then Jeff Sims comes in and turns it over three times, I believe. He had two interceptions and a fumble. And then Chuba Purdy comes in, who's not even 100%, who's been putting off surgery that he needs to get on an injury that he's had for the majority of the season. He's their third-string quarterback. He comes in, leads the team all the way down the field, and throws an inexplicable interception on third and goal, which uh, the play calling on that was interesting. And there's a lot that you can go into. But what's the quarterback situation going to look like for a Nebraska team that's defense has been unbelievable throughout this season? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the million-dollar question right now, right? We'll, we'll be talking to Matt Rule tomorrow, and, and that's what we need to find out because I don't know what I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I don't know what the good answer, right answer is going to be. You know, they seemed like – I mean, obviously, they went out in the transfer portal and they and they handpicked Jeff Sims, who, who had a really nice career at Georgia Tech. He's a big guy, strong arm, good runner. He had had turnover problems in his, in his years of starting at Georgia Tech. And from game one, he had trouble holding onto the ball and taking care of the ball. And eventually, they just they just could not get it corrected. And it was putting them in such a hole, and their defense was playing well, they went to Harburg. And Harburg is not nearly the thrower. I mean, mechanically, he's not a good-looking thrower. He's got a strong arm, but it's very erratic. He's going to be about a 50% completion guy. But he's big, and he's tough, and he can run, and you know, they've, they've already incorporated some option into their offense, kind of going back to the glory days in Nebraska and trusting their defense. 
Um, but again, the turnovers, it's just hard to win. It's hard to win in college football today if you are minus 14 on the turnover margin. And that's what they are. And I mean, it's been multiple turnovers every game for them. And, uh, you know, you can have the perfect X's and O's and make the great play calls and all of that. If you aren't able to take care of the football, you're going you're to have a, a tough time winning. So, yeah, the quarterback situation is, is question number one uh, when it comes to Nebraska. Uh, the question number one for Wisconsin is, you know, Braylon Allen, what, what's the situation with him? Because they're clearly a different team with or without him. He came back after missing a couple games. He only had three carries, and then he sat out the rest of the game. So I don't know if he's not able to play. If he is able to play, again, we'll find that out when we get to Madison. But that's a big difference and a big factor for them. If he's healthy and if he can play, they already got Tanner Mordecai back, who had good numbers, just couldn't get him in the end zone, you know, until there were 11 seconds left in the game. Um, But they do need to be able to run the football and have balance, and, and Braylon Allen makes them a better football team. And, of course, missing Ches Malusi, who's out for the year. That was an injury occurred about midway through the season. And you feel like if at least they had him, you can rely on him. Don't have that. So they, they definitely need Braylon Allen back. This is going to be a fascinating game for so many reasons. Two first-year head coaches with their programs, respectively. Of course, not first-year head coaches all around. But Matt Rule's done an outstanding job of building back up Nebraska within the, the quick period. Todd's prediction of bowl eligibility for the Huskers is in the balance here. If they can win it's one of the final the two. Now, yeah. <laughs> they they looked really good a couple weeks ago. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They got to win one of these final two. As for Luke Fickle's first year in Madison, I, I think it's a little unfair to say that it's been such a disappointment. You can say that because of a lot of the expectation that he brought and certainly the talent that they had, but you lose your starting quarterback when they lost their starting quarterback, they were playing good football. They were at five and two before yeah. all of this, and they've lost yeah. three in a row. So there's that. You lose Chesma Lucy. Braylon Allen's been in and out of the lineup. I, I think you've got to give a little bit of the grace period here. And then there's been a lot of comments from Luke Fickle and Hunter Waller, their, their star safety. So a lot of storylines, and we're going to be able to tell you all of those storylines come Saturday. Make sure you tune in, 7.30 kick, 7 o'clock college countdown, and bowl eligibility on the line between Nebraska and Wisconsin. As we get to our Xfinity Big Connections on and off the field, and that goes right back to this game. They're playing for the Freedom Trophy. Nebraska and Wisconsin Trophy was created back in 2014 to pay tribute to our nation's veterans. So a week after Veterans Day, really excellent timing. It is made of bronze, features images of both teams' football stadiums, half of it Memorial, half of it Camp Randall. There's a great look at it right there. I, I'm going to be honest. I, I just think that anytime you get to pay, play for a trophy, even yeah. if it doesn't mean a whole lot in standings or it doesn't mean a whole lot in overall, I, I don't know, glory, whatever, it's special. It means yeah. something to those players. And you can always see it after a game when they get to hoist that trophy into the air. And so I'm always, I'm always a fan of that. Any more trophies we can add, give it to me. That one's impressive. I'm not going to lie. That's a nice looking trophy. I mean, I yeah, I like all those, whether it's, the pig they hold up or the axe, you know, I mean, I mean, it's, it's pretty fun to see. So yeah, yeah. So we'll be there again, both teams five and five. So we'll see who can find a way, which constantly is the all time matchup 12 to four. That includes winning every single meeting since 2014, Nebraska won the regular season matchup back in 2012, Wisconsin, then won a big 10 championship that same year. All right, let's go to our Xfinity 10 G fan questions from Columbus. Let's go to our first question of the day. I'm Maddie. I'm from Maryland. Um, were you cold at the game? 
<laughs> Maryland Maddie asking the big ones. All right, Todd, I'm going to say that I I was okay. Now, I can't speak for everybody in our booth. I do know that your spotter, Ryan, was wearing shorts, I believe, again. Because yeah, he wears always. Every, every always. single week, which yeah. I – I feel is a little bit concerning. That's that's odd behavior. And I would I would also say that our stage manager Lexi was freezing. So it was she a wide cold. variety. Yeah. yeah, wide variety of of different feels. I was totally good. I felt okay. I felt okay. Uh, my feet were a little bit cold. Yeah, that was about it. Uh, and then obviously, whatever we have is nothing compared to Catherine Tappan down yes. because she's the one who's really out there in the in the elements, not us. Yeah, and then every time I go, oh, you check the bag. She goes, you see how much gear I have to bring just to be down on the sideline? I go, yes, yes, you're right. I'm not, I'm, you're right. I'm Charmin Ultra Soft. You're, you're 100% right. No problem. All right, question number two. Hi, I'm Paisley, and I'm from Indy. And what's your favorite part of the game? Paisley from Indy, favorite part of the game. I mean, you've called a lot of them, Todd, so you've gotten a chance to see different vibes, different feels. What's your, what's your favorite part of the game? My favorite part of the game might be halftime when I get to eat Uncrustables. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Uncrustables at halftime. So I, I mean, look, I love, I love the stadiums. I just love the whole college atmosphere. The bands, Ohio State's band was phenomenal. So for, good. You know, I mean, the the script Ohio and the dotting of the I. I mean, it. I just love it. I, and I just love how you know the bands in the Big Ten are all they're so precise in their march and their step and their you know, everything. It's just, it's, it's pretty cool to watch. I, I love the band gets me revved up before the game. Yeah. I, I also enjoy the, I would say the best part of the game is the run out, right? The anticipation of the run out of the home team. And you get that roar of the crowd, especially in a, in an amped up environment and just kind of let it breathe and enjoy it. But other than that, I would say for me, dancing to the pregame music in the booth, that's, <laughs> that's a go-to for yeah. me. I'm, I'm a you fan of it. You and Ty Guy doing the dance. Yeah. Ty Guy and I definitely, we get dancing. You know, <laughs> you can't stop us. There's nothing you can do. It's not footloose territory. We go all in and we just make it happen. So that's that's definitely high on the list. All right, third and final question for this week is. Hi, guys. My name's Son Armstrong. I'm from Dover, Ohio. And Noah, what was it like having a night game in Columbus? Wow. Olympian. Olympian asking a question. That's big time stuff. All right, Hunter, so the, the answer for me, I think Todd kind of hit on it. First of all, it was amazing to be in Columbus, a, a night game there. I got to do the double duty this past week, which was even more fun doing the basketball game on Friday against Texas A&M in, in what was a, a really tight and a good environment of a game over there at the uh, Schottenstein Center. And then to do the football game Saturday night at the Shoe. It was my first time at the Shoe anyway. Mm-hmm. And to, to be there and to feel it and to see it, at night under the lights was special with a number one team in the country playing in front of their fans. And then Todd, what you mentioned, I thought the script Ohio, you know, I don't normally take pictures or videos of anything once we're on headset, when I'm on headset, it's time for the game, right? I'm not really going to be focused on much other than the game and answering random texts of people that are telling me random (laughs) stuff that's happening. And Hey, fix the tie. But aside from all that, it's the game. And so that was the first time or one of the very few times that I really took my phone out to, to actually document it because I thought it was pretty special. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that is cool. I mean, I, you know, one of the things for me that I just, I mean, I just, I'm so thankful. I mean, normally during the national anthem, I just kind of take, you know, a time and I'm just kind of quietly reflective and, 
and I'm just, I just feel like it's such a privilege to be able to do what we do and yeah. to be in those kind of venues, you know, I mean, to sit there and to look around, it's a packed horseshoe and it's a beautiful night and all the colors, you know, uh, and the stadium is all lit up and looks great, you know, and, and we've gotten this year, you know, we, we did it here. We've been to Ann Arbor, we've been to Kinnick, we've been to Beaver stadium, you know, we, it, it's so much fun and it's such a privilege uh, to do games in those kind of venues when it's a packed house and it's, it's all lit up for a big Saturday night game. So I just, I'm just very thankful for that. Yeah. Excellent question from an Olympic gold medalist swimmer. And we appreciate all the questions as always. We are excited to see what we get this week as we go back to Madison. All right. I just want to say my one final rant and feel free to jump in on this. I think it's ridiculous that James Madison is not going to be postseason eligible this year. Yeah. I think it is absolutely and utterly ridiculous. They are 10-0 and 0 now on the season. They are in the top 20 and climbing in the AP poll. They just beat UConn, and albeit it's UConn, I understand, 44-6. to 6. This is a team that all they have done since entering the, the FBS single-A era of their football program is win games, and they don't even get rewarded for it. And Last week, the school wrote a letter to the NCAA basically pleading them, hey, we're up for potentially a New Year's Six Bowl, which they are because they are undefeated. And if they remain undefeated and run the table the way that they have for the majority of the year, they're at least in the conversation for one. That's a big deal to a school of James Madison. That's a big deal to a program that's still in their infant stages and building and for recruiting and for transfer and everything that goes with it. And for them not to benefit off of it, for this weird two-year probation rule just seems silly to me. So that's my rant. I just want to get that out there. No, I would agree with that, especially when you consider um, that every year with with the plethora of bowl games that there are in college football, they're always scrambling and struggling to find enough teams that either have won enough games or qualify, you know, and here's a team that deserves to play in a bowl game. They deserve a postseason reward. No question. You know, I mean, I think Liberty's still undefeated too, right? Aren't they still yeah. undefeated? I mean, you know, they're another team that should be playing in a, in a nice bowl game. You know, it's a good football team. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I think the NCAA should acquiesce on this one a little bit and uh, make an exception to the rule. Uh, the last thing I want to say before we sign off is <clears throat> I mentioned about Illinois going to Iowa and having maybe the most explosive offense in the Big Ten West. I just want to tip my cap to John Paddock, who is the backup quarterback at Illinois. He came in and took the place of Luke Altmeyer, and all he did against Indiana was throw for 507 yards and four touchdowns. And Reggie Love ran for 140. You know, Isaiah Williams, who we knew is, you know, he's their most dynamic playmaker. Not catches 200 yards and two touchdowns. But the backup quarterback coming in and throwing for over 500 uh, against a Big Ten opponent in Indiana. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, Iowa might stifle them and strangle them, you know, just the way they do everybody else. But it'll be interesting because that should be a team offensively that comes in with some confidence right now. And just another showcase, another kind of perfect example of just how good of a coach Brett Bielema really is. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, every time, even when his back's against the wall and everybody counted them out early this year saying, all right, maybe last year was a fluke. Maybe 
they're right there on the precipice of being a, a postseason team again, and they've turned it on in a big way. So shout out to Brett, shout out to James Madison, shout out to Liberty, also 10-0 on the season inside the top 25 as well. And we appreciate you for tuning in to Big Talk with Todd and Noah, presented by Xfinity 10G Network. Make sure to download and subscribe on the NBC Sports YouTube channel and wherever you get your audio podcasts. And as always, we'll talk to you next week.